Hey everybody, Tim Stafford, here. Mike Erie here. We are grateful. We are the Vox Podcast and we're grateful you're tuning in today. Thanks for your time. Thank you for your interest in, uh, in uh, what's going on. We are, um, we're in a good mood today. Although Tim, I have to say, <laughs> I shouldn't say we're in a good mood. I should say I'm in a good mood. Tim, prior to coming on air, um, said that he was angry. And what was it? Angry and tired? <laughs> uh, I don't remember which words I used. Angry and tired. Sure. Those yes. feel accurate. Yes. And what, what are you angry and tired at? Uh, you know, I've been having uh, struggles with church in our area and trying to figure out the whether to jump ship or how to be the most constructively involved. Mm. But as I said to you, I'm very angry and uh, tired in this season with church and with so much is happening in our country. Yeah. But I'm also very hopeful. Yeah. Why hopeful? I think because I'm seeing uh, tangible um, points in the things that I'm angry with that for me, that's what's helpful is if I can see something, why it exists the way it does, how it mm -hmm. got off track, mm -hmm. how it uh, is functioning improperly, then I can see like, oh, well, then here's where that change needs to be made yeah. to bring it back on course. Or yeah. So that's why I've been telling you um, <laughs> why I'm very excited for this series, because I think that if anyone's going to teach us how we should be doing this correctly... It might be our Palestinian friend. <laughs> our Palestinian friend. Yes, this this very Yeshua. kind olive-skinned fellow um, who, uh, who turns out to have a lot to say about life. So um, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Seriously, we're so thrilled uh, to be a, whatever part of your life. We are in, um, uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount where we've got um, some interview ideas for people that are going to kind of contribute. We're still going to be interviewing folks, of course. But um, the last couple of weeks have been sort of setting the table a bit for what Jesus is doing. Um, the claim that Jesus is Lord is a political claim. The kingdom of God is a political entity. But when we hear the word political, we're, we've been discipled into partisanship, Republican, Democrat, left and right, and so on. And what we're trying to say is um, that, no, there is a politics that belong to the kingdom that are unique and that are easily violated once allegiance is given to uh, political platforms. You and can so, say not right, nor left, nor nor religious. Correct. Oh, one man, might so, say some someone should say that. Lee Majors. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if the vast majority of people listening to this know who the six million dollar man. I don't think so. Is. The fall guy. Yes, and the fall guy. Yes, Lee Majors. Look him up. Look him uh, up. I'm sure there's got to be a million memes. He was like Chuck Norris before Chuck Norris. <laughs> totally. Totally. Chuck Norris was just Lee Majors reincarnated. <laughs> just um, hairier. So we're going to look at a text uh, that, that follows the text we looked at last episode. And tell us about our reader. Who's our reader our today? Our reader is our my good friend, Claire Walker. She nice. is uh, her and her husband. Um, run Claire, the area Claire Walker, medicine woman. Claire Walker, medicine woman. She'll like that. That's a good introduction. Yep. Yep. 
You, you know where that's from, right? That's a Jane Seymour poll from the... Dr. Quinn. Yep, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Thank you. <laughs> I've got the 80s TV on <laughs> Oh, yeah. So uh, she's going to read our text today, and we'll be right back after that. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so we are talking about salt and about light. And shockingly, um, I've always heard this as the man you got to share your faith right you yeah. you are the only bible that people will ever read right <laughs> you you've got to you, you know you like um <laughs> you, I don't know what that even means well i haven't I, <laughs> yeah i i don't know what that means either but but this is one of the most famous sort of evangelism verses right. uh texts uh, and um and so whenever you know I, I i've taught it and heard it taught in ways that that dramatically do not fit the context and so if you're breaking out in hives because you had a youth group background and salt and light was the name of your band or your um <laughs> uh, your gathering <laughs> i did a building campaign once for a church that was called salt and light so take that I, uh... um I know, right? That talk about violating the text. We'll get we'll get into that later. But just real quick, Tim, what we want to start with is clarifying what Jesus is doing, and then we're going to talk about kind of the massive ramifications of what he's saying here, right? So when we get to you are the salt of the earth, in the same way, the earth here doesn't mean world. Earth means land, just the way it did with meek. Remember, meek will inherit the earth really means meek will inherit the land, the promised land. So you, the second person plural, so it's you all, Jesus is saying to a group of people, you are salt of the land, all right. Then he says, which is interesting because that's language. Salt is this interesting thing that was used for everything back in the day. You had tons of it on the shores of the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea is incredibly salty. I have yeah. floated in the Dead Sea. The fact that I can float there says it's really dense. Um, and uh, and you don't make sure you don't have any cuts on your body when you go into the Dead Sea because you will feel oh, everything. Lord. Yes. But um, so on the shores of it were just massive deposits of salt. And salt was used shockingly for flavor and to preserve meat and to purify things. It was used to treat wineskins and it was used medicinally. And I mean, it was ubiquitous. And maybe that's the point that Jesus is making. Salt was everywhere uh, in the first century. It had tons of different uses. 
He says, you are the salt of the land, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can, we, how can it be made salty again? The idea um, is that salt can be so mixed with impurities. So we, we've discovered salt on the shores of the Dead Sea that isn't true salt because it's been mixed with the impurities of the soil around it. And so it, you can have non-salty salt is the idea. And so Jesus is taking this image of something that's, that's contributing and blessing and being everywhere and saying, yeah, but it can also be so diluted and so polluted that it loses its effectiveness entirely. And it's not good for anything. Yeah. And then he said, and then he says, you are the light of the world. Now this is a slightly different image, right? Light of the world. He world here means the earth, the whole earth, the inhabited populace of the earth. Um, the idea here is that Jesus is channeling Isaiah. And so there are two different passages from Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 51, listen to me, my people hear me, my nation, instruction will go out from me, my justice will become a light to the nations. That's Isaiah 51. Isaiah 60, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The idea was that when God chose Abram, formed him into Abraham and a nation, Israel, that they were to be in the way that they lived under the lordship of Yahweh, they were to be drawing people the nations to the worship of Yahweh because of how compelling it was to live with Yahweh as your king. Right, that's what it meant to be a light, to be a revealer of Yahweh and who Yahweh is and what Yahweh was like and what Yahweh was doing in the world. Um, and so the light picture is from Isaiah. The salt picture comes from lots of different places. Salt was even used in covenants, interestingly enough, in Leviticus. Um, so the, so the idea is they were to be salt of the land and light of the earth. Now, these were, these were images that were, even in rabbinical writings, used to describe the role of Israel in the world. Interestingly, Jesus takes these and applies them to his followers. Right? So, so he's taking Israel language and saying that that's now true of my disciples. Right, which is which is a big deal that we'll get to um, in a second. He also says uh, he gives three images. He's like a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Right. Neither do people light a lamp put it under a bowl. Instead, they light it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light shine before others; they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, so the many worship songs just popped up in those. So, <laughs> this is lines. like classic church text one hundred and one. Yeah. And so it's relatively, I mean, it's relatively straightforward. Both salt and light are meant to affect um, the, the things around them, but they can also lose their effectiveness, right? Yeah. Won't let Satan it out. Yes. Yes. Don't let Satan blow it out. But the is the better rendering. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so the the huge the 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 big point is oh it's interesting Jesus taking Israel language and applying it to his followers. All right, they're to be salt of the land and light to the earth, uh, and both of those have very specific cultural connotations that we've just you know begun to look at now. Israel, um, so so we have to, before we get to um, us, who is the you? 
So when Jesus starts by saying, you are, remember, there aren't paragraph breaks. There aren't verse divisions. He ends by saying, blessed, 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 blessed are you, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, you all, second person, plural, you all are salt and light. So who's the you? All those uh, meek and poor in spirit folks who are gathered around the mount. Yes. And who were those who were those folks? Well, they were the folks that were coming to be healed and coming to be taught. So the you yeah. here are and it's like we, we said last time, the you here are the poor in spirit. They're the merciful, they're the meek, the peacemakers, the persecuted, the reviled, right? These are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are pure in heart or want to be. Um, and and it's a very specific kind of person that's being described, right? It's it's nine, yeah. it's not just one. It's not just separate images. It's one image of the kind of person who has room in their heart for God and a hunger and a thirst to see God move in them and in the world, right? These are people that are filled with grief. They're filled with um, suffering. They're filled with uh, faithfulness and they are filled with hope, right? That Those are the four words that kind of characterize this community that is right. formed of such as these. So, so why, why the chapter breaks? Well, I mean, well, if it decontextualizes things for just a, a layman picking up the Bible, reading, you know, and we can talk, we talked last week about all the context that goes into the Beatitudes right. and who those were for and what the, what Jesus was intending with that, etc. Then a chapter break, then we go into this to a verse that also gets kind of taken out of context because it doesn't run straight out of that. Totally. I know it's and it's a total trade-off because in our quest to make it readable, we do paragraph breaks and thought breaks and verse numbers, which, you know, I mean, we can say Matthew five twelve, and we know what that means, right. right? Instead of saying the fourth line down from the left side of the papyrus, <laughs> you know, I mean, so, so I think it's the, with good intentions, but again, it, 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 it breaks up flows of thought that were never meant to be broken up. Jesus isn't talking, yeah. he isn't starting something new. Here he's still blessing, um, and he's still he's still politicking. This is yeah. he's now what he's now doing is saying this community is being formed into a politic, into a polis that yeah. that is to function as salt is in the land and light is to the world. But how it will be salt and how it will be light is inextricably linked to the fact that it's the poor in spirit, the brokenhearted, yeah. right? The persecuted. It's that those people are the people that Jesus is saying, you are to season the rest of Israel and you are to be light of the world. This is not the pretty. This is not the strong. This is not the elite. This is not the well-educated, right? These are the people who are the most dissatisfied with the current status of things who have yeah. room in their heart and zeal in their heart to see God do what God has promised to do. And to those yeah. people, Jesus pronounces the kingdom, not only its availability to them, but the fact that it, they inherit it precisely in virtue of the circumstances that the world counts as unfortunate. Yeah. Right. Huge deal. And so the salt and light passage isn't about sharing your faith. Even, even when it says, let your light shine before men, it's passive. Let your light shine. 
And he's not saying you should be salt and light or you could be salt and light. It's no, no, it's the definitive. It's a pronouncement. You are. Yeah. You are the remnant in Israel to remind Israel what it means to be Israel. And you are the, the group of people surrounding me, this misfit ragtag group that I'm sure had some wealthy people and some powerful people. But that, the, I mean, every indication we get from all of the Gospels is that these were people who were the Amha Aretz. These were the people of the land who were looked down upon by the Pharisees because they were too poor to fulfill all of the requirements of, you know, fair sake Judaism. And because of that lived in some degree of defilement because they just could not make three trips a year to Jerusalem and had money to offer sacrifices and all those sorts of things. And so that's the mix up of, of the crowd and the mix up of his disciples. And so what you have is this incredible, he's taking right. Israel in the old Testament, Israel was to be a, 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 a priestly kingdom. The problem was Israel didn't want that vocation and rejected right. it at Mount Sinai. So instead God creates priests in Israel, right? So now what God has done, he's, ta- is, he's taken a, a subset of a subset to say, well, actually, it's not the priesthood anymore. And it's actually not all Israel anymore. It's you who hunger after me. Yeah. You're the remnant. You're the flavor, right? You're the light. I mean, it's a big deal what he's saying. He's bestowed yeah. upon them a, a holy vocation that they don't have to try to embody. But in the voc- because again, we, these aren't just new sets of moralities, but he is, he is giving a charter to a people and defining about how that people will work and operate in the world in order to live up their calling, live up to their calling as salt and light. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, so, so you cannot, dev- this is not like, Hey, go be awkward with somebody and, um, and count that as sharing your faith that you, yeah. <laughs> maybe you can get that from other places. You can't get that from here. Well, and even just what does that even mean? Oh, we'll sharing your faith. Cause okay. yes, cause that version that was presented through the misuse of this passage that we kind of grew up with was, you know, what? Yeah, it was like a it was like a five minute conversation, maybe, or maybe it was an hour, but then it kind of ended at that point. So, what does it even mean to share faith? Totally. In a, in a yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, that all of that gets thrown into question, which is awesome. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the the cultural point is that Jesus was taking Israel language and applying it to his followers. Yeah. Right. That's big. The second Smart point dude. is, and that his followers were not those traditionally considered to have religious power, authority, or example. Right. Right. But they all, we established last week that because it was an oral tradition that even, that even the poor had a pretty good idea in that's uh, right. retention right. of these stories that he's referencing. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Even the poorest of the poor. Um, would, because of synagogue and festivals and holidays and feasts, would be aware of the great yeah. cultural body of tradition. Um, and even the, the, you know, there is much evidence that in the Galilee, people were learning great portions of Torah by the time they were six years old. Yeah. 
So, so yes, th- this is not law. This is not going over their heads. Yeah. So Israel was to be, and this is the, this is the, the, the difference between the salt and light metaphor. Israel was to be a prophetic contrast. Jesus this crowd was to be a prophetic contrast to the rest of Israel. Okay, so this is what's called a remnant, and it's all over the Old Testament. God will always save for himself a remnant from Israel, who is considered the true Israel. So this is remnant thinking. So this this ragtag crew of people um, who aren't much to brag about, if if in their followership of Jesus, they become salt to the rest of Israel, to the land. To the land, yeah. So they're prophetic contrast to the rest of Israel. Because right now, when, when Jesus was walking and talking, you know, the the, the 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 ferocious debates raged about how to handle Rome, um, who yeah. was, and, and terrorizing Israel. Um, and, and so when you study the way of Jesus as opposed to the way of the Pharisee, which was zealous adherence to the law that that um, uh, if if all Israel would keep Sabbath perfectly, Messiah would come, you know that sort of thing, or to the Sadducees that that benefited in terms of power by sharing and collaborating with the Roman um, right. uh, legislators and the puppet kings. Um, or the Essenes that had wandered out into the desert condemned the rest of Israel as faithless, particularly the the temple system, and kind of came up with their own remnant theology about God's going to come back and exonerate the sons of righteousness um, and destroy the sons of darkness. Or then you have the beginning of the zealot movement, which will come to 40 years, Jesus will say, in the next generation, you'll see this city destroyed because uh, of the people who think that what we need to do about Rome was to um, uh, take violence to them. So Jesus is showing, he, what he's going to be doing now is showing them how to be Israel, how to pick up the vocation of Israel now that it's been defined around himself. Right. Okay. So there would be a contrast to the rest of Israel. But secondly, right? And they're not violent. They're not power hungry. They're not to be religious reformers. They're not to be accommodationists or isolationists, right? Those are the same debates we still have. Yeah, absolutely. The way of Jesus was a way through all of that, right? But they were also to be a witness to the Gentile non-Jewish community of God's intention to redeem. Right. So that was what the light part was, right. that people would learn about what God is like by watching his people. All right. So two different things. Salt, which was a contrast to the rest of Israel. Light, which was um, shining into the world, the knowledge of who Yahweh is. And then, yeah. and, and then obviously now Jesus. <clears throat> Makes sense so Gotta far. Get the flavor back. Get, so bring the flavor. Flavortown, USA. <laughs> Mike Erie. <laughs> Yes. Oh, there's this, there's a petition out there to rename Columbus, baby. I am in, I am all in for flavor town. Um, and I didn't know Guy Fieri. I mean, uh, who knew that we had such like incredible, you know, like prestigious celebrities yeah. from Columbus. We, I just had the no craziest idea. thing is that if, if you guys did rename Columbus <clears throat> flavor town, that would not by any stretch of the imagination be the weirdest thing that happened this year. 
<laughs> that is so true and and very sad and very sad all right now 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 let's get to us um if you if you try to map jesus disciples all right now now we are jesus's disciples and you map the salt image and the light image you might get something like okay so the people of the kingdom are to be a prophetic contrast to the Christians in the church. All right. So there are a lot, there's a lot that's Christian and there's a lot that's churchy and there's very little of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's thus your anger. <laughs> yes. But like we've said before, the patron saint, Zach De La Roca, <laughs> anger is a gift. <laughs> He's the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine. Um, you need to, and you need to go watch. Like I think it's, it's either I think it could be Woodstock, like one of the later Woodstocks where they did Killing in the Name of, like 1999. Yes, or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Just trying to help the the youngsters kind of appreciate culture. So so the people of the kingdom are to serve as salt and to be a prophetic contrast to the Christians in the church. Because what we're seeing, and no duh, but what we're seeing is a massive failure of discipleship, right? Nobody, yeah. t- and the Christians do not take the words of serious Jesus, uh, words of Jesus seriously, right? Um, we do not. They don't. We argue that they're not even meant to be taken seriously. We are a stench in the nostrils of the world. I mean, truly. Look, I mean, the sexual abuse scandals. Um, the amount, the amount of leaders, myself included, who've lived lives of, you know, deception and platform building. And I mean, it, it's, it is, it, it, you talk about losing your saltiness. I mean, that, yeah. that just is the American church. And that's not everybody. The church was always supposed to point to the kingdom. Now, how yeah. do you know if a church is pointing to the kingdom? Simple. Jesus just told you what the kingdom was. It's filled with people like that. Yeah. Right. And instead, in defiance of the Sermon on the Mount, we elevate people who have platforms and they're aggressive and they're type A and they've got visions and plans. And I just I and I was I was so captured by that myself. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that in one sense, but in another sense that serves as a substitute um, of, of what the kingdom is supposed to be and feel like. And so there are, there are kingdom Jesus people who serve as a contrast to the church. It's just true. Much of the church isn't Christian. Much of the church isn't of Christ. Much of Christianity isn't of Jesus. That's just true. It's just true. If you want proof, read the sermon on the Mount, read the whole thing, and then (laughs) compare it to what you see in the lives of people who call themselves Christians. It's really that freaking easy. It is that easy. Read the book of Acts and ask yourself if you've ever been to a church community. It feels anything like that. Yeah. Right. So it's not that people are rejecting Jesus. It's that people have never experienced him. Right. And so they reject the shallow substitute of what we've all fallen for myself at the top of the freaking list. I get angry because I'm part of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, this is this is why this is one facet of why I've been so angry because I have, you know, I've just been learning a ton about uh, what American Christianity has been built on and. I don't blame, well, I mean, there are some people that I might blame, but all in all, like our being able, we said this last week too. And then we said it with Pete ends a little bit with 
learning with the Bible, just just take this scripture that you just did and and talking about the context of reading it straight out of the Beatitudes, who Jesus is talking to and why, how that reframes this scripture from what we grew up with. Totally. And I do feel angry that so much of the context is off, that so much of my theology has been based in like either poor reading or or at some point intentionally deceptive mm. translating or reading, if that is a yeah. a- a- accurate term or accurate way to phrase that. But I don't know. But it also at the same time, I feel very encouraged because I do think like if everybody who's listening right now is willing to loosen that, grisp, that, that grip a little bit to the theology that they've grown up with and just let Jesus restructure and reframe this. I have a, I had, I do have hope for the church. Absolutely. I don't know what the church looks like, but I have hope for it. If yes, <laughs> yes. The thing that Jesus hates most in the gospels is hypocrisy. Yeah. The thing that is the church, the thing that is, that we are most guilty of, right. Is the thing that Jesus hates most. Yeah. Well, it's no, there's no saltiness in that. And then the light that you're shining is a, Really, nah. <laughs> really we'll get to one. that. We'll, we'll it's totally like a get black to that. light and with those terrible posters that you hang up in your room. <laughs> <laughs> you just <laughs> so, so what you have is King Jesus blessing and pronouncing blessing upon you know those who see their need and insufficiency were broken by what they see in themselves, the meek who don't, dem, don't demand their own way or, um. Yeah, how did you use have that their lesson? use their position to exploit others? Yeah, right. They don't have to get ahead. I mean, it's just so at odds with the platform building fog machine, mach, you know, thing that that at least in my world has been called the church. Yeah, and um, and churches are fine, but they just don't all witness to the kingdom. How do you know the ones to do? Simple. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Compare them. You know, do do. Do the churches honor the poor? Do the churches honor the suffering and grieve with the, those that are lamenting? Do the churches um, do the churches reward mercy and peacemaking? You know, are they filled with people who are meek and don't need their egos tended to? I mean, it's really it, it's in some sense. And again, my anger is directed partly at me because uh, I've just I've learned. Um, the most toxic thing I get into is self-righteousness, right? And this is where I see the danger of the political left and the political right is it's all fueled by self-rightness and self-righteousness. And none of that is the way of Jesus. Doesn't, doesn't matter if you're right. Self-righteousness is never right. And it's never the way of Jesus. And so what we have is a Jesus. In fact, I was reading one story. It was a guy named Tony Campolo. And uh, who's a, who is a big name. He was my uh, hero when I was a youth pastor. Yes. Yes. Founder of Red Letter Christian with Shane Claiborne. Kind of a bit of a radical back in the day. And he told a story about how a Jewish student uh, of his became a Christian. And Tony had recommended this Jewish student to go to this particular well-known church. And after a few weeks, he asked the student, he's like, so how, how's it going? And the student says, and this is almost a direct quote, it is almost as if they took a committee to go through the Beatitudes and make sure they taught and lived the exact opposite (laughs) of each of them. Yeah. 
And so you're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Now, that doesn't mean they're all bad or no, I'm not. No, we're not. There is no perfect here. What, right. what, we're, what we're shooting for is what, what is salty and what is light. And as it turns out, it looks a lot like Jesus. And what does Jesus look like? Well, it looks a lot like meek, poor in spirit, right? A peacemaker, persecuted, reviled, mourning. I mean, that's what it looks like. That's the shape of the kingdom. Those are the inhabitants of it. And when we do church, quote unquote, in a way that crushes the poor in spirit and, and makes the mourning, the mourners feel unwelcome and makes the wrong yeah. people, people feel persecuted, right? And doesn't reward the hunger, the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, right? Then we've, then we've not, we're not ambassadors of the kingdom. And in Jesus's sense, we're all we're fit for is to be thrown out. And that's what the world's doing. Right. The world looks at the church and sees nothing but its own value system reflected on a God, you know, a little God gilded golden cover. And uh, and then, you know, we call that Jesus following. And no, no, no. The word has a better prophetic view of the problems of the church than the church does. Yeah. And so those of us who are sincerely desirous of being uh, followers of Jesus, um, and, and, and consider, you know, taking that like that really, really seriously to be salt then is to be Jesus in the midst of Christianity, mm. um, because there is a difference between the two. I mean, there just really is. And I've taught that difference and I've embodied that difference and I'm trying to repent of that difference. You might say the Christ in Christianity. Oh, snap. <laughs> because, I mean, you think about how did how did Jesus market his his movement? He picked 12 losers. I love it. <laughs> right? He told people not to tell anybody about his miracles. When they tried to make him king by force, he ran away. Yeah. When the crowds became too big, he'd give them a hard teaching. Right? I mean, this guy was not at all led by focus groups on what, you know, what the congregation thought was best. <laughs> no, his whole ministry was a Bruce Springsteen song. It was all... Oh. blue collar workers is like, Hey, you know, when you get done with your nine to five, drop that net. And yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know about your livelihood after that. Who knows? I'm asking a big thing. I mean, I don't even know how I would share the message of Jesus anymore. Like I, I really don't. Cause I, I can't do the, Hey, you're a sinner. He offers forgiveness. That's, that's like, that's 10 yards of a hundred yard field that I'd be sharing. But, but you right. also and have that's to what warn. I meant by that, like sharing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. But, and then you also have to warn people. It's like Jesus is disruptive. He's he's intrusive. He he's not. Um, I mean, if you're going to really pursue the real one, he's not going to just stay in a nice, tidy religious box. Right. He's yeah. just going to mess with your head and screw with your morals. And um, he's uh, yeah, he's. <laughs> And I I want to warn people. It's like, well, yeah, it looks, yes, it looks like insanity. It looks like insanity. Why would you be generous when, when there's scarcity everywhere? Why would you even worry about it? Whatever you think to be sexual purity and fidelity in a world that literally teaches self-expression is the greatest good, right? I mean, it looks insane. Why would you defer to somebody else when we're told to push and advance our rights, right? I mean, you just, of course it's impractical. That's how you know it's of Jesus. It is unbelievably, repulsively impractical to live this way. 
Absolutely. And the only people dumb enough to do it should be the people who are absolutely <laughs> convinced that their way of running the world is not working. Right? And so it's like, yeah. even my kids, like, how do I disciple my kids? Because they don't know yet. They well, don't this know. this is a whole podcast episode in itself, because that's a, or a series, or I don't know. But we, like, when we're talking about... um what church should be yeah and and how and so you know um at the last church that we were at my son would come from sunday school and he would say something like you know all the street we were talking about how all the streets are paved with gold or something like that and i was like really that's what you guys were talking about and uh i was like well we don't know that that's actually you know it's just like what theology because we grew up in the felt board theology era where a lot of scripture was taken out of context but there are great stories great stories baby uh what what am I teaching my eight and four year old? Because I the oral tradition stuff I think is fascinating. Yeah, and I would love my kids. I you know I don't know that my brain is built anymore at forty one to uh, retain information that way anymore. Hmm. But their brains are still at a point where they're developing that technique and this idea of embodying a living history. I think it's fascinating. Yes. And yes. I don't know what the answer to Sunday school and stuff is because that I, I just like, yeah, I don't want our either. kids to grow up in the middle of this stuff. But at the same time, like I don't want them to grow up in a Disney version of. No, no, the, yeah, you you abs you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. It cannot be a Hallmark version of Jesus because they will they'll walk away from that. Yeah, look what Disney did to Star Wars. Proof, <laughs> dude. That is so. That is such a great point. <laughs> Um, all right. So let me, let me push forward just a little bit. Yeah. Cause my goodness, I I'm, I'm so passionate because I, I have so much hope and faith in the church and I have hope. I have so much hope. Uh, and I, I, I think this is a really dumb thing to say, but I have so much hope in my still having a part to play. Yes. Like I want to play a part and I really deeply am passionate about that. Like I've not given up even remotely. Not even remotely. Um, and, and so what you have in, um, so, so we, the Jesus people are to be a prophetic contrast to what's called Christianity. And we do that out of weakness. Like that's our defining characteristic. And that's the part that just sucks. And Paul, man, if you want to, if you want to talk about what a church should look, feel like, and what a pastor should look and feel like, just read first and second Corinthians and how Paul talks about himself, Hmm. right? I came with fear and trembling. I came preaching Christ crucified. I will boast of my weaknesses. I mean, it is, it is in stark contrast to the super apostles and the celebrities of his day. You know, and he, and he says, this community is built on weakness. He's like, he writes to the Corinthians, hey, think of what you were when you were called, guys. Not many of you were noble or smart or powerful. I mean, and then he, he says, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You're like, okay, that's, that sounds about right. Or even he'll say, like, I hate jars of clay because the band ruined the, the, the verse. But... <laughs> Like the, the, the idea that this treasure is given in vessels that are cracked and fragmented and broken. Yeah. Like we witness to Christianity, not in our rightness, but in our yeah. weakness and in our dependence and in our humility. Like 
like we're the people who are supposed to trust that the way of Jesus works in the world. Yeah. Right. We don't have to be political to get our way. We don't yeah, we have use that to... physical example, right? The, um, was the Japanese, the, Kintsugi, the pottery or yes, I can't, uh, that, I, I don't think I said it right, but that is such a great with the vessel. That's uh, right. Being a broken and weak vessel that's been mended together in this beautiful way that the weakness has become the beauty of it. Yes. So, all right. All right. So I'm getting all foggy. So sorry, Israel. No, no, no. This is me. So Israel redefined into Jesus's followers was to be a contrast community to Israel, the greater yes. Israel and to be a light to the Gentiles. Okay. So let's map that onto the church and say, well, the Jesus, the people of the kingdom are to be in contrast to the people of the church and of Christianity, wherever it is, they diverge. Yeah. And, and, and likewise to be light to the nations. Now the question becomes, how do we become light to the nations? And per my earlier statement, we are a stench, um, <laughs> in terms of the history of, of how we've treated people, how we've worshiped power. I mean, yeah, just talk to anyone under 40. Uh, if you don't believe that, you know, my children will sit on the thrones of, of, you know, churches and, and the nation state in 20 years and judge just this generation mm -hmm. for what it was that we allowed to happen. You know, I mean, it's just true. Now, this is where some gombus things have said, what are you looking down at? I have a hair clip that I broke. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I thought, just a I little thought nervous tick, you know, I'm just sitting here clicking it back and forth and I snapped it. Oh, nice. I thought maybe thought maybe you were taking notes because it was so good. I, I am thought, doing that also. Though, that yes. is not true. That I love that you broke a hair clip. Things that <laughs> um, words you're never going to hear from me. Now, <laughs> this gets it back into our first um, Sermon on the Mount episode about what it is um, to be an Anabaptist. All right. This is this is straight. This you're going to get an IV full of Anabaptist and a Baptist theology, which is, I buy it hook, line and sinker. Like the, the, the best gift the church gives the world is by reflecting the kingdom period. And that the church should concern itself with reflecting the kingdom. Of course, people in the church have political views and we're in a system where we get to all exercise those, but the church's gift to the world isn't its partisan stances. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And this is Gombus, but this is new Testament even more. It's the formation <laughs> of an alternative social order. Okay. So everything about the sermon on the Mount and everything in, in, in most of nah, everything in most of Jesus teaching, uh, most of Jesus teaching has to do with the reversal of the, of social ordering. Yeah. Right. So, um, and, and we can get, we'll get more into this, but client and patron relationships were big in the first century. There were expectations that went with those. Um, the, the, there was a reward system based on you would help those who could help you. You would never help those who couldn't help you. Uh, Jesus is going to reverse all of that. Jesus is, again, he's not giving you law. He's painting a picture of what it looks like when God's in charge and, and his social order, the way he intended social relations to be embodied is actually embodied. 
Yeah. Right there, you're not having to make oaths. Your 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 yes is your yes. There, you're not using people sexually, even in your mind. There, you're not you're not getting to anger because you're dealing with contempt. Yeah. Uh, you're not getting to murder, excuse me, because you're dealing with contempt, right? right? He's, he's going to turn upside down what we're invited to create. The work of the church is to create a visible community built on the upside down values of Jesus. That's yeah. the work of the church. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And to the extent, extent that services help or small groups help or whatever, great. But the, the church is politics. That's the yeah. point. The yes. church is to be an alternative polis where every so. So instead of revenge, we do forgiveness. Instead of greatness, we do service. Instead of firstness, we do lastness. Right. Instead of accumulation, we do generosity. Right. That's all of that is to be a, an alternative social order. We're to revamp yeah. all the ordering. That's why James and James is so against favoritism towards the rich. Right. Because it actually witnesses against the reality of Jesus. Or that's why people are dying in Corinth because they're celebrating communion in a way where the rich shame the poor. People are dying because God's so pissed off about that. Yeah. Right. This is this the political entity called the church. If it if it is faithfully witnessing to the political political entity called the kingdom of God, will be cross shaped and will be governed by the politics of the towel and the basin, by the politics of the Eucharist and the table, right, and by the politics of baptism. Yeah. That's what forms and shapes the church into. A different, an entirely different way of ordering social relationships. So the church was so powerful in the first and, and second centuries, not because it had great theology, it had resources, none of that. It was people couldn't believe that all classes of people were eating together. That, that people were, were daring to resist the allure of violence and immorality in the world. Right? They were totally nonviolent uh, and yeah. totally against sexual immorality in a world that was just steeped in it. Um, they were committed to taking care of the poor, even if the poor weren't Christian poor. Right? This is what made them astounding in the eyes of the Romans. And it was, they, were, they were literally a different way of ordering. So when we have churches that are rewarded on the fastest growing or the biggest or the best. I mean, the world just sees that as that's just the same flipping set of values, <laughs> right? That, that we just add a little Bible verse to and say, that's okay. Yeah. I think it's great. I'll, I want you to reiterate what you said. <laughs> Not the whole thing. One little piece of that, that I thought was a great example. It was a church based on, the towel and the basin, the right. um, the Eucharist and the table, and yeah. what was the third thing you said? Uh, and uh, um, and baptism. Yeah. Well, think about it. Just think about it yeah. this way: What kind of politics are practiced when the poor in spirit, 
and the mourners and the hungry and thirsty for righteousness and the meek and the peacemakers and the pure in heart and the persecuted. What kind of politics when those people get together, do you think they're going to practice? Yeah, you think good. they're going to rule the world? Do you think they're going to coerce the world through legislation to adopt their morality? Or do you think, as what Jesus will preach in the Sermon on the Mount, this will be a, a, a community primarily concerned with its own fidelity? Yeah. As it sits in exile, away from the cultural power of the world, it will be a community of grief, it will be a community of suffering, it will be a community of faithfulness, and it will be a community of hope. And the way you build the imaginations of a community is that you practice the politics of the towel and basin. You serve, baby. You serve. That's what greatness is. And you practice the politics of the Eucharist, which is where we don't have to agree. Where people who hate each other set aside their hatred to take the bread and the cup. Where we practice the politics of forgiveness and reconciliation and Mm -hmm. generosity and hospitality. Right? We practice the, the politics of baptism where there is no tribal affiliation, no ethnic affiliation, no nation state affiliation that is more important than now being a part of the family of Jesus, right? That's our politics. And so, yes, damn straight, we're political. Absolutely. Absolutely. But when you get the poor in heart and the mourners and the meek and the pure in heart or poor in spirit, excuse me, and the persecuted, what kind of policies do you think they're going to enact? Yeah. Right. They're going to look nothing freaking like the Republican Party. Yeah. Or nothing like the progressives. I mean, they're just going to be something entirely different. That's the Anabaptist theology right there, baby, is the gift, the <laughs> gift the church gives is by being the, the church that witnesses to the cross-shaped kingdom of Jesus. It's an Anabaptist antibacterial. <laughs> yes, an antibacterial. It is, um, yeah, it's so compelling to me, and I'm sorry I'm so flipping out, but I was, I was so looking forward to this text because it was like, oh, these are just the Beatitude people. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah, salt and light. That's fascinating. Yeah. And how do they witness? Well, so far they've witnessed just in their weakness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's all. That's all they've done. <laughs> and so, and so how do we parent? How do we witness simple? We're honest. We tell the truth about our faith, our doubts and our inadequacies. We don't, we just stop pretending. We well, yeah, stop and, and the pretending. Definition of meekness too, even to a, par- a parental level. You know, of people who do not take advantage of their position. Yes. Yep. And then what that does to, on the church level, to like to the big to the big guys, the big voices out there, if they started to adapt that, yeah, because it's what the salt, the salty folks, yeah, were demanding or were, were you know, yeah, it's it seems awfully relevant. <laughs> Again, yeah. Just a time period for the church to be meek and to be in service yeah, to in a, shut in our a time yap. where the world is totally. tearing itself apart. Yeah. But see people who are poor in spirit and meek and mourning and, and hunger and thirsty, they're not focused on what other people are doing, right? right? They're celebrating the new thing God is doing and grateful that they get to be a part and continually looking at the logs in their own eyes, right? Before they address the specs anywhere else. 
Yeah. This is a this is a community of repentance. It's a community that's always learning. It's a community that lear- that knows what lament and grief are because the world does suck. It sucks. Yeah. It absolutely sucks. And yet, we we have no permission to withdraw or give up. Yeah. Cuz we're we're fundamentally an eschatological people. We're hope. Right? Yeah. We well, we think I mean, it's going somewhere. The world is as Tim Mackey said or God's working through a suboptimal lens. But the thing that I like about that is that uh, God has not given up. That's right. So, I mean, he's not only working through a suboptimal lens. Think about you and I. He's working through sub-suboptimal people. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Yep. I mean, what a bunch of clowns we are. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking while you were talking that maybe we could change the name of the podcast to Sons of Thunder. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. We and, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. I just, I don't know, man. I want a chance to do this differently. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm so freaking compelled by it. I can hardly stand myself. Um, because at the same time, I'm just frustrated and hurt and angry. There's this like, this other thing. That's like, ah, ah, I think there's, there's a way to not, again, this is not about doing it perfectly because there is no perfect. That's by, by definition, there is no perfect. It's all suboptimal. But what is, what is, what is a greater degree of fidelity to the sermon look like if it embodied in a I community? I love that though. I love that there's not, and this is a conversation for another day, but I love that there's not there's not this perfect way of doing it. There is this like active involved way of doing it that you have to be as we learn and grow and make a thousand decisions in one day. Like you're like, you're participating in every one of those to do this. And there's not a straightforward blueprint of it in that kind of way where it's like, you know, you, and it, it opens up so many questions about the Bible and about faith and about, uh, about evangelism and about sharing your faith and I'm doing air quotes um, <laughs> because the Bible is like, we're just continually talking about context and we're continually talking about like Jesus's intent and it just opens up so much. Yeah. But one of the answers seems to be just this living, just living it, living well, it hard. And yep. The best gift I think Pete ends gave us in that interview and in his book uh, is the idea that it, the the Bible comes to us this way on purpose because it's meant to build faith and to cultivate wisdom. It's not meant to make all the decisions and to provide clarity, right? It's, it's how, how would you, I mean, just think about it this way. If you were going to write a book about your wife, okay? And what life and marriage with your wife is like. I mean, there'd be parts of it that would be prescriptive, right? Yeah, you should do this. <laughs> this <Right>. helps. <laughs> there, there, there are parts of it that would be like, oh, yeah, here were some romantic letters we wrote, you know. But there would be a fundamental mystery that could never be captured by what you wrote. Yeah, and, and we just leave that mystery out and it's... <clears throat> I don't know. It's, I realize that's kind of a different conversation, but I, I do think it kind of pertains to this a little bit. And it's just a, 
like the our our relationship to mystery is i think so thin mm. and it's such a huge piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. and i and i want and i but I, and i love the idea of it and i know that that may be different i think mystery terrifies a lot of people well, a lot of us go to religion to, to avoid mystery exactly uh and so i don't want to i don't want to take away from that being a terrifying thing for a lot of people but right uh, it's well there's a I difference know. i think i would argue and i haven't thought this through but i'm going to argue it anyway i don't that, think anything through that <laughs> all right maybe i don't either that there's a difference <laughs> between uncertainty and mystery and contradiction and unbelief sure. like those are yeah. different shades of things so yeah. mystery doesn't mean some things aren't clear right um but it's that some things can't be fully captured yeah which That's is terrifying different. when you're don't like you're giving your entire existence to this idea or this mm-hmm. story uh and it has these ramifications for what your understanding of afterlife is and judgment and all these things and that's such a huge component being this thing that may not be fully known i know but i know but, i know but this is i know this is so cheesy tim but here's what i'm here's the here's what i'm undergoing the difference between um uh b- living into a story and a set of beliefs versus and i know this sounds so dumb and cliche but versus the trust of a person and a companion to me is all the difference in the world because all those other questions have become secondary. So, so like for instance, um, I would just did a teaching on John 11 where, um, Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother has died. Martha comes to Jesus and is like, dude, come on. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And, uh, but I still believe God can do whatever you say. (laughs) And he's like, well, hey, Lazarus is going to rise at the last day. And she's like, yeah, I think so, too. Well, no, no, Lazarus will rise again is what Jesus says. And then Mary's yeah. like, yeah, at the last day, I believe he'll rise again. And, and, and then Jesus is like, no, no, no. I am the resurrection of the last day. Hmm. Like, and I know I would have, for some reason, it just hit me. Because now all, all of my questions about afterlife don't, they're just not as important because I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. For us, doctrine is a face and a name. It's not just a story. It's like marriage is my best example. It's like what I'm living with Justy isn't a story, nor is it a set of beliefs. It's the formation of a community of partners that works itself out in repentance and apology and truth telling and forgiveness and reconciliation and foot washing and the table. And you know what I mean? It's like the same thing. So I don't know. I know that's, I know that's Shez, but, um, I, I've, I found it, I've just found it so compelling to, um, to, to lean in on this Jesus, this Palestinian uh, fellow and, and have him like feel sturdy to me. Yeah. Even though I don't understand so much. And the more, the more I lean on him, the less I understand. Right. Which is this great paradox. But the more I trust him, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I imagine that's how most of those folks felt on that oh, mountain. Can you like, imagine? No, yeah. But no I mean, he's speaking clue. just the way that, 
the way he's tying the, the worlds together, you know, specifically for that group of people, I think is just, I'm sure they, they're just like, they had no ah. freaking clue. No, <laughs> yeah. no clue. None. No clue. Just like us. No clue. No, nope, we just blithely enter in like, oh yeah, I'm just going to raise my hand here. Everyone eyes closed. Yep. No problem. We, we don't, we don't have the fuckest idea what we're doing. And, and God's so great that he accepts even that. You know what I mean? He really does. Yeah. I mean, that's, Peter. dude. <laughs> hey, we got a couple questions. Let's wrap up with those. All right. Oh, man, we're an hour in. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking for them. Yeah, Here they are. All Sweet right. Jordan. On all the blessed of the Sermon on the Mount, does this apply to non-believers? They can be merciful. They can mm-hmm. be meek, poor in spirit, peacemakers, etc. I feel like Jesus doesn't make a stipulation as to who these are in any sort of uh, religio. How do you say that? Religio ethnic sense, hmm. and wouldn't have a gotcha moment for those he speaks of, but perhaps aren't Christian, especially since that doesn't actually exist at that point in time. <laughs> Imagine an Egyptian who just happens to be at the mount returns home and lives his life changed by the sermon, but never converts and perhaps isn't even aware of what became of Jesus afterwards. He's still blessed, right? Oh, what a Jordan is such a stud, man. Such a great question. And, and, um, so a couple thoughts and I'd love to hear what you think too. Um, the, the blessed there, there are two different words for blessed. The one that's being used here has religious connotations to it. it when you, when you start looking at the poor in spirit and the, the, the pure in heart and the mourners and like we were doing in these categories of old Testament, um, it does stand for the righteous poor that, that, um, that, that it doesn't mean they're righteous, but it means that they're the injustices that they've suffered have given them a cause before God to be heard. And, um, and so I would say, first of all, that in, in one sense, you're absolutely right. And Jesus even says this later in the sermon. He's like, well, of course God gives sunlight to the wicked and the righteous alike. Yeah, of course. Of course, there are blessings in that sense. But the blessings he's talking about here, I think, are more specific, and they have to do with following him. Um, and so while I would say that your point is certainly true, anyone who is merciful will be blessed. Anyone who forgives will be blessed. There's still a, a, like, a like a little extra thing that's missing um, when it's blessed in context of covenant versus when it's blessed without that covenant. In other words... Um, the, anyone can enjoy the 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 fruit of marriage, but I think there's something that's added when you actually undergo the ceremony and make the covenant. You know, I think there's a little something there that if you're just living together and you, but you right. talk as if you were married, I think there's something missing. And so, so I would say. Um, that this isn't a religious elitism versus not elitism. It's not that it's hungry for God versus not hungry for God. Right. And, um, and so those who are hungry for God, I think will be filled uniquely in ways that those who are not hungry for God will not be. Yeah. 
So that's a phenomenal question. But the general point's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Virtue is its own reward and sin is its own punishment. I mean, I, I believe that. So yeah. yes, being merciful, good thing. Your Egyptian friend, absolutely. Now, whether what, what his salvation status is, I have the foggiest idea. Right. But whether he's blessed in this specific sense, I, I, I don't think you can make the argument from the text that it's a yes. What about, you can tell me, because I'm curious, I was thinking when I read that question, I was thinking about, and I don't have it in front of me, so, but Cornelius, the mm. centurion, the mm-hmm. Roman centurion, right? And again, it's a Peter thing where uh, this Roman centurion who had a really prestigious port, had a big family, a lot of people, he's very like, a lot of people looked up to him, Caesarea, mm-hmm. if I am correct. Yep. And when Peter gets prompted to go speak to him, like he was, they kept saying like that he was living, like he believed all this stuff and he was living mm-hmm. all this stuff and it, and needed to have like that covenantal structure that Peter was like, they told him like, Hey, you need to go talk to this guy. Right. There was still, he knew all the stuff, but there was still yeah. something missing. Yeah. And then Peter yeah. brought that, even though Peter was like, whoa, 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 we don't mess right. with that. And God's like, right. Hey, and now I'm telling you, you mess. do. Yeah. You do mess with that. <laughs> yes. And then. He went there and did it. Yeah, no, it's it's the same way with um, in later on in Acts when they come across some followers of John the Baptist. Uh, they've been discipled in the ways of John the Baptist, but there's still something missing. Um, right. They haven't been baptized by the Spirit, and so there is because it really raises the question: Is there a distinct blessing that comes from being? a Christ follower as opposed to not being a Christ follower. And obviously right. I would, I would argue the Bible says yes. <laughs> and, um, and that doesn't mean it's better than it doesn't mean it, it really doesn't mean any of that. Right. Cause it's all grace. Yeah. Um, but I do think there, there are, um, uh, rewards, um, of following Jesus, and the biggest one, of course, is Jesus himself, right? It's, it's, we can all experience the benefits of admiring Jesus, but to trust him, to actually trust him is, um, there's something unique that happens there. Yeah. So anyway, Jordan, holy crap. Stop, stop writing in. And everyone else can email hello at Vox Podcast. Jordan, you can email tim.stafford at <laughs> AOL. <laughs> that poor guy is going to get some weird emails. <laughs> oh, all right, friends. Well, certainly we've rambled plenty long. Good Lord. I'm tired of my voice. So you must be, you must be also. And um, if ever these are helpful, uh, we'd encourage you to share them. Um, We are very, very grateful for the fact that we have a community that uh, we get to kind of grow and process all this with. So um, again, thank you. Tim, any last comments? Nope. (laughs) All right, friends. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com 
backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.